Bienvenidos. Hello there and welcome. Welcome to City Breaks. It's been a little while since we've had any Spanish, but today's the day when, sticking with my plan to get through Covid when travel's still not very possible, I'm going to do a virtual visit to one of the cities I've already covered, and in this case, it's Seville. Or, to give it its proper name, Sevilla. It does sound more exotic in Spanish, doesn't it? So, following the pattern of previous virtual visits, I'm going to talk briefly about one or two websites, one or two YouTube videos, even one or two of those old-fashioned things called books. Things that you could look at, listen to, read, enjoy, if you wanted to go on a virtual visit to Seville, or perhaps wanted to reminisce or plan a future visit. So then, without further ado, where to start? My favourite YouTube video, I think, was the one called 10 Things to Do in Seville. It had commentary in English. It was quite cultural. It showed you the presenters round and about in Seville, but pausing to explain what tapas are, to visit a flamenco bar. So providing some snippets of cultural information en route, but taking time to visit and show you in great photography places like the Cetas, the ultra-modern construction known to the people of Seville as the mushrooms, because that's approximately the shape of that massive construction that you can climb up and walk round to get great views of the city. They went there, they went to the lovely Parque Maria Luisa, to the beautiful Plaza de España, to the Alcazar, in short, to all the most photogenic parts of the city. And it's a feel-good film that certainly leaves you wanting to get right on a plane, stroke train and head off to Sevilla. That was the film that most made me want to go to Seville right away. But I also really liked, again on YouTube, a little three-minute version called Just Travel to Sevilla, which had lovely photography just on a few of the sites, the Plaza de España, the Alcazar, the Cathedral, no commentary, but all set to Spanish music, and a great atmospheric pan round, really. Of interest, I would say, if you want a quick glimpse of some of the gorgeous things awaiting you in Seville, or perhaps a really nice little film to reminisce to if you've already been. Do some attraction spotting and enjoy the lovely photography. Once you've done that, you might find yourself craving a little more detail. And a website which I found really useful was one called andalusia.com. If you go onto there, forward slash cities, forward slash Seville, forward slash, for example, Alcazar, then you get some fantastic photos and some information, just a little introduction. So about the Alcazar, for example, to give it its proper name, the Alcazar Real, which means Royal Palace, you can discover, if you didn't already know, that it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. You can discover what the word Alcazar actually means, fortified palace. Find out that it's the oldest royal palace still in use in Europe. In use because, in fact, still today, the upper part of the palace, the royal apartments as they're known, they're still the official residence in the city for the reigning Spanish monarch. So if they're in town, this is where they stay, and they use it for family celebrations. The Infanta Elena had her wedding celebrations there, for example. There's a very quick reference to the thousand years of history which lie in that building, starting from when it was built in what was at the time the Islamic province of Isbilia, from which we get the word Seville, through the medieval Christian times, Jewish Seville, right up to the present day. It gives you some indications as to what to go and see. So if I may quote, Magnificent salons boasting tiled walls and intricate plasterwork, 
courtyards with beautiful pools and delightful gardens. The most celebrated and recognisable parts of the Alcazar are the façade, the ambassador's hall and the patio of the maidens. Then there's a paragraph on all the different architectural styles which are used. Moorish, Gothic, Renaissance for example and you can click on any of them for more details. It even brings history right up to date and tells us that the Alcazar Gardens were the setting for a number of scenes in the Game of Thrones series where they served as the Water Gardens of Dawn. The same website, so andalusia.com, has a section on Seville's Cathedral as well. Again, lovely photos and a few little bits that you might want to know before you go to visit it. The fact, for example, that it's the largest Gothic cathedral anywhere in the world. And it quotes the famous sentence said to have been uttered by the church elders when they were planning it. If you don't mind me murdering the Spanish, I'll have a go at reading it out. And just in case my pronunciation is so terrible, I'll pause to slot in the English as well. So, you need to go back to the very early 15th century, 1401 to be precise. You have to imagine the committee meeting that was held when they were talking about building a cathedral here, possibly replacing the mosque, possibly keeping some of it and building round it. Some people thought perhaps costs should be cut, other people wanted to lavish money on it, and the church elders in the end came out with a statement making clear that in the end they thought extravagance was definitely the way to go. Hagamos una iglesia, let's build a church, tan hermosa y tan grandiosa, so beautiful and so magnificent, que los que la vieren labrada, that those who see it finished, nos tengan por locos, will think that we are mad. A sentence to ponder, I think, when you get to the cathedral and find out just how absolutely ginormous it is. Eighty chapels, I believe, around the edges, and the most enormous, fantastic main part. The website goes on to point out a few of the places inside the cathedral that you're most likely to want to see. Dead handy, given the size and the fact that it's going to be utterly overwhelming. The more details on this, of course, in the episode I did in the main series on Seville about the cathedral. But on this website, andalusia.com, we're reminded that probably the main thing many visitors want to see is the tomb of Christopher Columbus. There's a description of it and a reference to the controversy which has always surrounded it. Was he actually buried there? Is he perhaps not buried somewhere else, in Santo Domingo, for example, in Cuba, in Triana, on the other side of the river, in Seville? And pointing out that recent DNA tests did in fact prove beyond doubt that this tomb does hold Christopher Columbus. It doesn't say what I think might be the case, which is that actually it holds some of him, and some of him is elsewhere. So fierce was the battle to have his body and bury it. There's a reference, too, to one of the other things that people often want to see, which is the famous stuffed crocodile. It had been a gift from the Sultan of Egypt to one of the Spanish kings. The Egyptian Sultan was hoping to marry the daughter of King Alfonso X, so he duly arrived in Seville for an extended visit with his entourage and bearing gifts, which included a crocodile. And although in the end it was decided that the wedding wasn't going to go ahead, when the entourage left, the crocodile stayed behind, and when he passed away, so fond were they of him that they had him stuffed and kept in the cathedral. There's a reminder too about the lovely courtyard just outside the cathedral, known as the Patio de los Naranchos, which is also very popular with visitors and one of the places that lingers in the memory long after you've left. This courtyard dates back to the days when on the site there was a mosque. 
and I think that it, along with the bell tower, were deemed to be so beautiful that they weren't destroyed. They were kept and fitted into the new Christian cathedral design. In Moorish times, this patio had been the place with fountains and orange trees through which worshippers would pass five times a day on their way to prayer sessions and where they would pause to wash their hands and feet. Another website which I found full of useful information and lovely photographs was thecrazytourist.com where there's a section called The 15 Best Things to Do in Sevilla. Just listen to its introduction. Three of the things most associated with Spain are also typically Sevillian. Flamenco, tapas and toros. Toros, of course, being the Spanish for bull. Come in spring when the aroma of jasmine and orange blossom carries on the breeze and you can catch either the atmospheric solemnity of Semana Santa or the raucous merrymaking of the Feria de Abril. So it offers a mix of places to visit and also some cultural insights that will be handy to know before you arrive. There's a section, for example, on the Plaza de España, which is that glorious curved red brick building with the pools of water outside it, popular with tourists and also very much day-out territory for civilians themselves, and explains what it actually is. Quote, a semicircular plaza edged by a canal and overlooked by a large curved palace. The palace contains many of the city's administrative buildings, but the reason to visit it is to walk beneath the gallery, where you will see busts of important national figures and little installations for every province in Spain. Yes, there's a niche for every province, and inside there are decorations made with civilian tiles, showcasing details like the food from each area, the famous monuments in each place. So it's really a complete lesson in Spanish history and culture. In addition to covering places, though, this website also talks about events. So in the introduction, it referred to one of the festivals, the Feria de Abril, and it explains what that is. A five-day event, when thousands of tents are erected on the festival site, people wear traditional costumes, the women in polka dot flamenco dresses, the men in riding breeches, short waistcoats and wide-brimmed hats. It explains what goes on during the festival, lots of eating, drinking, dancing traditional Sevillanas dances, all of this until dawn every night, a fairground, horseback rides, lots of merrymaking, in short, very civilian in style. So those are just two of the entries, and there are 15 in total, so if you want to find out about Holy Week in Seville, Semana Santa, or the Triana District, or the Art Museum, for each of these and many other places, there is an entry, and each one accompanied by a lovely photograph. Definitely a website that will help you plan your trip. The main art gallery in Seville has its own website, the Museo de Bellas Artes. If you set the language to English and then scroll down, you'll see a section marked Singular Works, which is a guide to all their top paintings. It subdivides into various categories, painting, sculpture, ceramics and decorative arts. And you can click on the various entries to see a picture of the artwork and a useful description of it. So to illustrate, I've picked out a few of the paintings which are particularly civilian in flavour. It is one of those galleries which specialises in the art of its own country and its own area. So there's works by artists like Murillo and Zobaran, both of whom spent time living in Seville. Murillo's Santas Justa and Rufina is there, for example the painting of Saints Jasta and Rufina, 
two sisters who were martyred in Roman times because they refused to worship the idols, which the Romans did. They stuck to their Christian faith. So they are the patron saints of the city. And there's a story from the 16th century that they it was who intervened when there was an earthquake in 1503 and begged God to save the Giralda, the tower just next door to the cathedral. And in recognition of this, they are shown in the picture holding palms which represent their martyrdom and holding the Giralda in their hands, so an allusion to the fact that they are said to have saved it. There's also Zoboran's painting, The Virgin of the Caves, which is a representation of a story from Triana, which is on the other side of the river from the main part of Seville. It is said that monks from the medieval monastery in Triana encountered the Virgin Mary herself in a cave down near the river and the painting shows them kneeling in two groups, one either side of her and being sheltered under the protection of her cloak. The website also covers the painting known as Las Cigarreras, the Cigarette Girls, which is perhaps one of the most representative pictures of Seville, dating from 1915, in which the artist shows us the inside of the cigarette factory where hundreds of women worked and which is fixed in the minds of many people as the place where Carmen herself was employed. And fourthly then, another very civilian painting is one called The Death of the Maestro, which is based on an incident in which one very well-known civilian, Matador, died from his injuries after he'd been tossed and gored in the bullring one afternoon in 1880. So it shows the matador dying in his bed, the priest is there, other matadors, other citizens of the city are all gathered round, waiting for the inevitable. Definitely a gallery to recommend, and a website to recommend. If you want to know a little bit more about the ceramics of Seville, the industry very much connected with the city, because there were huge tile-making factories in the Triana district, and because many of the shops and other places in Seville even today have signs made of civilian tiles. If you want to dig into the history of that a little bit, or see some lovely pictures, then I can recommend a website called visitasavilla.es. That's the Spanish version, but if you put forward slash en, you get the English version, and look up History of Ceramics. You get a brief introduction to how it all started in the Islamic period, it was built on then afterwards by the other groups who came to make their home in Seville, until slowly the local style evolved. The mosaics and the tiles that you see all over the city, as street names, on buildings, in patios, shop signs, many of them using the very typical colours from the Islamic periods, the blue, green, ochre, others with that blue and white style that became popular in the 19th century. Another aspect of civilian culture is flamenco dancing and guitar playing. And I found on YouTube a short, only two minutes long little film called Flamenco Dance, Seville, Spain, which should give you an introduction to that slow, intense, rhythmic dance which builds up, often starting with just one female dancer, perhaps with a singer sitting behind her on the stage and one, maybe two guitarists. It shows how the tempo rises until the clapping and the stamping and the dramatic gestures are all-consuming. The description by the person who put the film up onto YouTube reads as follows. Flamenco dance show during dinner at El Palacio Andaluz, Seville, Spain. The costumes, the dignified poise, the stomping footwork bedazzled us while we ate, videoed and photographed all night. Watch how the dancer holds the castanets and clicks them. 
So if you're wondering whether a visit to a flamenco dance exhibition would be something you'd enjoy, this little film will certainly help you make your mind up. Also on YouTube, I found a little five-minute film called Flamenco Guitar in Sevilla, Andalusia, which shows a street busker, Juan Carlos de Lillo, who seems to be very well known, playing classical flamenco. He's in the road outside the exit of the Real Alcazar, so the Alcazar Palace. It's a film mainly just of Carlos himself, so that you can watch him play and listen to the lovely music he's producing. But the camera does occasionally pan around as well, so you get some nice views of his surroundings in the street there, just outside the Alcazar Palace. Moving on to food, I found two videos on YouTube, which I would definitely recommend. One was called Seville Food Tour, six or seven minutes long. Two presenters on a tour of the city with four, what you might call, foodie stops, which between them give you quite a good introduction to the food and drink on offer. The first one is at a market just under the Setas, the mushroom monument, where they make three purchases, Iberian acorn-fed ham, goat's milk cheese and cured tuna. And the camera pans round the market and you get a really good idea of what a splendid place it would be to go and buy your lunchtime picnic or indeed your food for the whole week if you're self-catering. Their second stop is at the Convento de San Leandro, Convento being a convent, where the nuns, whom you never actually see because they operate a turnstile system where you put some money on the little revolving table and it turns round and they take the money and send it back with your purchase. And it's a place where you can buy the traditional yemas, little yellow sweets or cakes where the main ingredients are egg yolk and sugar, which they have been producing for centuries. I think it's a fundraising operation for the convent. And it's a good way to purchase a little bit of something very typical and see what it tastes like. Their third stop is at a fried fish shop called La Freidula La Isla, where they buy, wait for it, some fried sand shark. It's been marinated and then flash fried, and it's served in a paper cone with manzanilla. And the fourth stop is in a little establishment called the Taverna Alvala Peregil, which is in the city centre just by the Giralda. Been operating for over a century, and we're shown that the things to eat and drink there are an authentic local orange wine and something called chicharrones de Cadiz, which are roasted pork belly slices drizzled with olive oil and salt. If you have a little bit longer to linger, then I found a second film which was over 20 minutes long, called Seville's Most Delicious Tapas, a film in which the presenter visits five of the best tapas bars in the city and indulges in two or three things in each of them. So by the time you've got to the end, you've had lots of ideas of the sorts of things on offer. I did find when I was in Seville that the food did need a bit of explanation. If you don't speak Spanish and aren't familiar with typical Spanish food, then it does all seem a bit of a mystery. And the fact that so much of it is served as tapas, so little portions of lots of different things, didn't help. So to go on the tour with James Blick on his Seville's Most Delicious Tapas video and find out about things like cured manchega cheese, which he ate in the first establishment, along with a mysterious looking tapas which was described as being bread, with salt cod on top, and on top of that, a thick, cold garlic soup. It was bright yellow in colour, and I think that whether you were for or against such a thing, 
you definitely want to know what it was before you ordered it. Elsewhere, he went to a Bodega Romero, as it was called, where there were 80 different types of sherry, all available by the glass. He chose Amontillado. And in other places, he ate fried cod balls, something I saw quite a lot. And he described the last place he visited, La Azotea, as being somewhere which specialised more in modern tapas, where he ate taco with tuna and guacamole, and octopus with little dinky vegetables of various colours. Again, explanations which would be handy whether you did or didn't fancy actually trying those things when you got there. Lots to learn, and well explained. And just to finish off, although this is a virtual tour, quite heavy on websites and YouTube videos, all of which are dead handy, I do think we shouldn't neglect the old book as well, and I did find when I was doing this series several really fascinating books that absolutely increased my enjoyment and knowledge of the city when I got there. So I'm going to mention just three of them and read a little appetite-wetting extract from each of them. And the first one is the inimitable Laurie Lee, a writer very much associated with Spain, mainly perhaps for his lovely book As I Walked Out One Midsummer Morning, which details him getting on a boat to Spain at the age of, I think, 19, busking his way round the country, paying his way because of his violin playing. It's about his journey all round Spain, but it does include a stop of quite a while in Seville, which leads to descriptions of various incidents that are very Spanish in style. In fact, I've chosen an extract from a book he wrote later called A Rose in Winter, in which he revisited Spain, I think about 10 or 15 years later, and in which there's a lovely description of himself and a friend being treated by a bar owner to various drinks and by his wife to a whole succession of very Spanish little snacks that she is mixing and chopping and frying out at the back of the bar. So here's just a little tiny extract from that. You might recognise it if you heard the whole series on Seville, which I did, because I think that featured a slightly longer version of this extract. OK, so here goes. At this point, they are midway through their session. Yet another glass arrives. Quote, And bang came another glass, golden as honey, but set down with such force that half of it jumped out onto the floor. So it went on. For two hours we approved, and for two hours he joined us, glass for glass, sipping holily, watching our eyes while we drank and telling the history of the wine. This is a miracle. Approve the colour. With this you could suckle a baby. So kind it is. With this one you could wash the dead, and they would resurrect themselves. It's stupendous, eh? And with every new glass, Antonio would bawl to his wife, who was hidden behind a screen, and bid her fry some fresh titbit to eat with the wine. Great barrels were piled along the walls, chalked in red with their redolent names. Cognac, manzanilla... Fino, Tinto, Amontillada, Blanca la Casa, Solera, and Especial. We had a glass from each barrel, and from the best, several. If one was not emptied before the next was offered, it was tossed airily into the street. And with every glass came some new delicious morsel, cooked by the invisible wife. Fried fish, fried birds, kidneys, prawns, chopped pork, octopus, beans, and sausage. I love Laurie Lee. Every paragraph he writes about Spain makes me want to get right there. I know that the Spain he wrote about has in many ways disappeared, but the romance and the drama and the beautiful lyrical way he writes just all combine to make me want to go there anyway. 
preferably now. Another book which very much informed and entertained me was one called Andalus by Jason Webster, which is described on its back cover as a quest to discover Spain's hidden Moorish legacy. I think he had a degree in Arabic and then turned to travelling and writing about it and went to Spain, keen to dig into the culture and find the Arabic and Moorish roots in the language, the buildings, the food, all sorts of things. So here then are a few lines from that in which he's describing the Alcazar Palace, which is architecturally a mix and a blend of all the cultures which have left their mark on Seville. Quote, Across the square stood the Alcazar, Seville's Alhambra, a lusciously decorated Moorish palace still used as a royal residence when the king came down from Madrid. Its delicate archways, pools of water and yeso-plastered ceilings, however, had been built for a Christian king, Pedro the Cruel. This defender of the Catholic faith had the royal escutcheon painted on the walls of his bedchamber, emblazoned with Arabic script, proclaiming, Glory to our Sultan Don Pedro, may Allah aid and protect him. The cultures are mixed in the building itself. He's saying that the Moorish-style palace was built for a Christian king, one, in fact, who so admired the talent of the Moorish architects and artists that he knew, that he asked them to design his home for him. And he used Arabic script and a reference to Allah that he had painted on his bedroom wall. And a third book on a very different topic, which also gave me many insights into Spanish culture, is a book called Death and the Sun by Edward Lewin. He took a year out to travel Spain in the company of a well-known matador to try and see the bullfighting tradition and business, for it's both, from the inside. He went to 62 bullfights, he saw 122 bulls killed and tried to really understand and analyse this very Spanish and indeed very civilian tradition which some of us find so difficult to understand. It's very descriptive, it's relatively non-judgmental, it explains what it is and leaves you to decide what you think about that. So here, for example, is a description of the beginning of a bullfight, which you may not know, as I certainly didn't, is divided into all sorts of different sections, all of which follow one after another in a very precise sequence. Quote, The first act of the Corrida is the Tercio de Varas, the third of the Lances, and it is subdivided into three parts, the opening passes, the peaking, and the quites. In part one, the bull enters the arena and the matador passes it using a capote, the cape used by matadors in the first third, and by their assistants throughout the bullfight. The capote is a circle of silken rayon, magenta on one side, yellow on the other, with a wedge about one-fifth the circumference cut out of it and a small collar sewn into the open wedge. The matador holds the capote at the ends of the cutout and swings it using both arms, sometimes letting go with one hand to create special effects. The capote weighs between seven and nine pounds and will stand upright like a pyramid when it is placed on the ground in the right way. The matador's opening passes allow him to ingratiate himself with the crowd and teach the bull to follow the cape. If the passes are well made, using para, mandar and templar, the matador will hear shouts of ole from the audience. The origin of this word is unclear, but it may derive from the Arabic Allah, meaning God. A sizable portion of Spanish words come from the Arabic, 
which was introduced to Spain during the Middle Ages, when the so-called Moors, Muslims from North Africa and the Middle East, controlled vast tracts of the country. So you can hear that it's a very detailed account of bullfighting, and he goes into the background as well, the people who get involved in the business, those who raise the bulls, all the entourage who travel with the matador, all sorts of aspects that you wouldn't think about. But at the same time, there's Spanish culture, threading through his descriptions and making you more aware of the history of the country that you're proposing to visit. My sort of book. So that's it for today. Next week, there'll be one more City Break Ideas episode. Please do remember that I'm keen to have your ideas. You can pop onto the website www.citybreaks.co.uk leave your suggestion on the blog or you can just email citybreaks at citybreakspodcast.co.uk Either way, it'd be great to have your suggestion and a sentence or two about why you recommend that place. Why do you think others would like to go there? And I'll put four or five of them together into an episode to inspire everybody about where they could go as soon as travel opens up a little bit more than it is currently. So all of that to look forward to. I hope you'll be able to join me. But for the moment, I would like to thank you very much for listening. Gracias. And to wish you goodbye in Spanish, of course. Adios. Adios.